everyone and welcome to the fourth episode in the Linklaters Competition Litigation podcast series. I'm Serena Williams, a partner in our London Dispute Resolution Practice, and today I'm joined by my colleague Heidi Barrett, a managing associate in the London Disputes team. Today we're going to be discussing limitation and covering the various statutory rules and court decisions which determine the limitation periods applicable to competition damages claims in the UK. But first, let's start with the basics. Heidi, welcome. Tell us. What is limitation and why does it matter? Thanks, Serena. The limitation periods determine the period of time in which claimants seeking damages from a defendant must bring their claim. While limitation periods vary as between different types of claim, their overriding purpose is to bring a degree of certainty and finality to the litigation process and to avoid parties continually arguing over events which may have happened many years ago in circumstances where there is a greater risk that events may not be remembered accurately. So if a claim is issued after the relevant limitation period has expired, the defendant will have a limitation defence to the claims, which, if successful, means that the claimant's claim will be struck out by the courts and unable to proceed, even if the claim is otherwise strong. So it's really important for potential claimants to be aware of the limitation rules. If they spend too much time mulling over whether to bring a claim, they may find themselves time barred. Equally, defendants will want to be aware of the rules to make sure that they raise any available limitation defences as early as possible to avoid wasting costs defending actions which are out of time. However, as we shall see in competition claims in particular, limitation rules are not always straightforward. Yeah, I think that that's definitely fair to say. Uh, the rules for competition claims need really careful navigation. So what are they? You, you may be wondering. Uh, so generally speaking, the default rule is that claimants will have six years from the date on which the cause of action accrued, which will generally be the date on which the relevant loss was suffered, to bring a competition claim, which in the UK is founded on the tort of breach of statutory duty. But that period can be extended in certain circumstances and different limitation rules can apply depending on when the relevant cause of action or loss was suffered and depending on the type of claim in question, such as whether the claim is a private action or a class action. For example, the six year limitation period can be extended if a claimant can show that the defendant has deliberately concealed essential facts relevant to a claimant's cause of action. As you can imagine, that may be particularly likely in claims involving secret cartels, where claimants may only discover the cartel activity many years after its operation, perhaps following a whistleblower complaint or a regulatory investigation. In those cases, limitation will only begin to run from the date on which the claimant discovered or could, with reasonable diligence, have discovered the concealment. Thanks, Serena. So the operation of this rule was considered in a landmark judgment of the Court of Appeal in the 2015 Arcadia case in which we acted for Visa. The claimants, a group of retailers, alleged that Visa's multilateral interchange fees breached competition rules and sought damages of over a billion pounds in relation to claims going back to 1977 on the basis that Visa had concealed various facts relevant to their claims. The Court of Appeal rejected the retailers' claims and gave clear guidance as to what constitutes relevant facts for these purposes. It interpreted this narrowly, holding that all that is required is that the claimant had the key facts necessary to plead their cause of action. It is not necessary for all of the circumstances of the alleged infringing behaviour to be known, nor for the claimant to know all of those facts which may go to the strength of their claims. In this case, the claimants did have the relevant facts necessary to plead their case, such that any claims prior to 2007, the six-year period, were time-barred. The case highlights the need for claimants to bring their claims in a timely fashion, as soon as they have enough facts, rather than waiting until they have perfect information to bring their claims. 
I mean, that case also has the excellent feature of being a terrific result for our client. Um, I guess we should also talk about the recent DRAM cartel case, which is very instructive in the interpretation of the rule and particularly how to determine whether a claimant could, with reasonable diligence, have discovered the concealment. So that case related to three companies active in the sale and assembly of computers, which brought proceedings against Infineon and Micron, alleging that they suffered loss as a result of a cartel relating to what are called dynamic random access memory, or DRAM, chips. In relation to DRAM chips, the European Commission had adopted an infringement decision in 2010. Interestingly, all of the claimant companies were in liquidation by the time the claim was brought, having entered into administration at different points between 2002 and 2005 and subsequently into liquidation. Defendants, unsurprisingly, said that the claimant's claims were time barred, as sufficient facts about the cartel's existence were available before the date of the European Commission's infringement decision. In particular, they pointed to articles published between 2002 and 2006 reporting on investigations into a suspected cartel between DRAM manufacturers in a number of other jurisdictions. At first instance, the court held that two of the claimant's claims were time barred because they could have reasonably discovered indications of the cartel's existence before they entered into administration because of the various reports in the public domain. The same wasn't true, though, for the third company, OTC. That company had ceased trading before any information about the cartel had come to light, and by the time information did begin to emerge, the court found that a reasonably diligent administrator would not have been on notice of facts triggering a need to investigate further. The case went to, to appeal, and the Court of Appeal confirmed that in deciding what constitutes reasonable diligence, it's permissible to consider the actual circumstances of the claimant's situation. In this case, that meant acknowledging that when information about the defendant's cartel activities began to emerge, the company was being run by insolvency practitioners who were not in the business of trading the relevant product and so could not with reasonable diligence have discovered the relevant facts. The case is significant in its finding that the reasonable diligence test may apply differently depending on the individual circumstances of the claimant. It also, as Hades already said, acts as a cautionary tale for claimants who seek to rely on the date of a regulatory decision as the basis for calculating limitation, particularly where there have been reports of investigations by overseas regulatory bodies into the same conduct which a reasonably attentive claimant should have been aware of. Thanks, Serena. Um, I think we should probably also mention that following the implementation of the damages directive in March 2017, different limitation rules apply to claims arising after the 9th of March 2017. So in this case, the six year limitation period will not start to run until the infringement has ceased and the claimant knows or could be reasonably expected to know of the infringement, the identity of the infringer and that it has suffered loss. Importantly here, the limitation period can also be suspended or in other words, put on hold during competition authority investigations, including while any appeals are ongoing and for a period of one year after. Given that competition investigations and any related appeals can often take several years to complete, this has the potential to significantly extend the six-year limitation period in certain circumstances. And as if this was not complicated enough, there are also special limitation rules for follow-on claims before the CAT, where the cause of action arose before the 1st of October 2015, and for class action claims made in collective proceedings before the CAT of the type we discussed in episode three. Yes, it's quite the minefield, I think, for, for parties to contend with. Uh, and as we've talked about, limitation is a really important issue for both parties to any competition claim. It can be a really difficult and complicated issue to grapple with. 
particularly in cases where a claimant seeks to extend the limitation period beyond the default six-year rule on the basis that key facts were withheld from it. I think in those cases, an assessment of limitation issues is likely to involve a detailed factual exercise to determine what information was available to the claimant and when, or could have been available to the claimant and when, with the additional need to consider whether a reasonably diligent company with the specific characteristics of the claimant should have been aware of those facts and the possibility of a claim. In complex cases, it's almost inevitable that specialist legal advice will be required to navigate such issues, and careful consideration should be given by the parties to whether it's appropriate to deal with limitation as a preliminary issue to the substantive hearing. That brings us to the end of our fourth episode. Thank you all for listening. If you're interested in finding out more, you'll find lots of helpful resources on competition litigation on the Linknative website. Our next podcast will be on applicable law in competition damages actions. Um, and if you'd like to get in touch with any of the team, then please do reach out to any one of us. All details are on the Linknative website. Thank you.